Joining me on the show today are the lead actors in the new production of Little Shop of Horrors, as well as director Dean Bryant, so stay tuned. Hello and welcome to Benjamin May McKay's Talk To Me. I'm your host, Benjamin, and thanks for joining us today. On today's show, I'll be talking to the two leading actors and the director of the new Australian production of Little Shop of Horrors. It's done by the Hayes Theatre Company, and it debuted with a smaller production in Sydney, and now this new, big, bold production is touring Australia, opening very recently in Adelaide. After those interviews, I'll have my review of this new production. But first, here's my chat with some of the cast and director Dean Bryant. Enjoy. Well, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Ben. Now, you've had quite a varied career, improv, Shakespeare, and now musicals. How yeah. did that transition occur? Um, I think every time I came to a juncture, I just flipped a coin and then just went with that. Mm. Um, I don't know how it happened. It just, uh, I was doing, yeah, a whole lot of improv back in Perth. I love it. I love, it's a form of writing, um, you know, and it's definitely the best form of listening that you can do on stage, and... Uh, creating and so yeah from that just going on to do um, some Shakespeare and then got cast in a musical in 2011 called Rock of Ages and that took me to Melbourne and that kind of opened the world of musical theatre up to me and yeah and then it kind of evolved from there. Well you mentioned Rock of Ages that's a very different style of music from what you're singing here today. Yeah. What kind of training have you done to ensure that you can do all these varied genres? Oh wow Um, well we studied a lot of um, music singing at WAPA um, training there but then yeah look just maintaining it up. I mean, with Rock of Ages specifically, it was actually about the technique of, of not singing the words and just singing the sounds. So you would sing something like, um, this must be just like living in paradise, but you would sing it like, this must be just like living in paradise. Like, you have to specifically think of it like that and not like words. Um, and then because of it, it actually, you know, that helped to sing. But that was like really you know, shredding your voice type thing. But this is um, a lot cleaner sound, a lot Mm. lighter tone, um, that Mencken um, Disney-esque-ness. And, um, yeah, so it's really great. I enjoy it. But, of course, doing the plan as well means having to alternate it. How have I done it? I don't know. I don't know. Just winging it. Just winging it, yeah. Just kind of all the improv training. All the improv training, yeah. No, I, I'm just, I'm very sure that I'm very regimented with myself and I get enough rest and I enough water and, yeah, and just, um, you know, a good warm-up as well. So you mentioned you trained at Whopper. Do you think it's crucial for young artists to train at an institution like that? No, no, clearly not, no. Um, for me, it was very helpful, I mean, especially being in Perth, just mm. because you're very far away from a lot of the industry, especially over east, um, and it can be difficult to get opportunities. But then um, going to Whopper certainly opened that up to me um, you know you, you get to meet a lot more uh, a lot of people I mean Whopper as an institution yes it's a good training ground and it was told to me that you know you can get uh, say seven years training in three and so I thought well that's a great fast track um, the irony of that of course is that it took me four years to get in so all up it was you know seven years um, you know worth it but uh, no I no 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 not by, by any means no you, you know just do you can do I mean, anyone can do it as long as they work hard at it and they train and they're aware and they're conscious of what they're doing um, and, they're, and they enjoy it, I think, is the, is the key. Mm. Now, obviously, this show is, is quite iconic. What attracted you to the role? Yeah, um, the plant, the team, the music. Um, I love, I mean, I grew up with Little Shop of Horrors, so I grew up with, like, listening to the soundtrack. It's how I learned um, the drums. I was learning drums to the Mencken soundtrack. And... Um, 
yeah, look, I, I love it. I love the show. Um, I love Seymour. I love all the songs. I mean, as a kid, I obviously identified myself with Seymour. I think a lot of people do. You know, it's kind of like that every man. I can, I can <clears> say that, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, um, very down on himself. And, uh, yeah, and so uh, that interested me. But the team as well. Um, but it really is the music for me. Mm. Now, it started at the Hayes Theatre Company on what I've been told was a much smaller scale. Tiny, yeah, Tiny. yeah. But, well, beautifully in a wonderful intimate theatre, mm. uh, which is great because it means that your, your audience was about 100 people, 110 people in the Hayes, um, which I love because that's where I, I cut my teeth in those kind of theatres. And it just means that you can give a more intimate performance. But in a theatre like this, uh, it's... Even better because now you can be, we can be more expressive, um, and it's actually this is more the theatre that it was designed for. Mm. So yeah, I'm really excited. So, so what are the challenges of upscaling? I mean, how much rehearsal time have you had here, and will you have at future theatres that are larger? I know it's been a day. Like, it's, been a day. it's been a day. We had yesterday. Um, oh, don't get me wrong. No, we came in a few days ago. And we had a, a, a re-blocking session just for the space, mm. and then we have uh, we had tech yesterday. Um, so it's you know it's still a learning process, and I'm really interested to see you know how it changes once we get an audience in because they're literally further away from us, so mm. we're going to get a bit of um, delay you know as we're used to. Yeah, you've got a balcony areas. as well. I mean, this place is huge. Yeah, I know, enormous, um, and they've got audience members dangling from the ceiling. I mean, that's it's going to be incredible. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess uh, it's really going to be see how we go in previews, mm. um, but it has it's made it a lot more. Um, physical I think a lot more expressive which is difficult for me just because I'll be sweating a lot um, but that'll be great so do you think previews help refine a show do you think they're necessary especially on a show of this scale yeah definitely yeah of course um you know, when we did Rock of Ages, I'm so glad that we had three weeks of previews. Um, and some shows don't. And that's really hard because when you open, um, say, with not many previews, you haven't really had time to find out what works, um, how an audience might respond, um, yeah, and, how, and how, you, how the best way to deliver it. And, of course, it never stops. It should always keep evolving. Um, and once you get complacent and bored with it, change it up. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think it will uh, they are important they're very important and I'm glad that we have them here um, and it's not to say that they're a lesser show it just means that it's it's just our first show in the theatre which is actually usually more exciting because it means that we're like still fig- you know we're still pottering about and um, figuring it out with it with the audience who were there. So you mentioned you like to change it up a little bit when you get bored of it. How accommodating are the production team and the <laughs> cast members of things like that? Well, some, not so much. Um, some productions, you know, you, you can, you really can. Like, I've had directors before who are very much like, you know, you walk to three, step on five, and you need to do this exactly. But I've had other directors before where they've gone, well, you know, in this moment, just however you feel, go with that. Mm. Um, which, of course, it's going to happen anyway. We change from minute to minute. Of course. Um, you know, so I think it's important to not be rigid um, into a routine um, because once you get complacent with it, it changes the meaning of it for you. Um, you know, that being said, you're still, it's just still about telling the story. It's not about you know, suddenly like throwing a banana peel on stage and just like going with that, um, which some performers have been known to do, and that's fine, and that there's a place for that. But... Um, it's just about knowing yeah, what, what the production is like. With this production team, they've been wonderful and it's great. And Dean Bryant is very much about um, organic um, growth um, you know, through a show. And that excites me. And that's why I enjoy working with him. Um, yeah, and I think everyone else you know, on stage, it's, um, it's good. It changes. You know, and it, um, 
there's a lot of stuff like, oh, I might not do that, just so you know. I'm, I'm, I'll do this tonight, but I might not do it all the time. Um, which is good, because you want to be um, feel a bit on your toes. You know? Of course. I mean, that's your yeah. improv training, I suppose, helps a fair bit. Totally. Totally. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's when it's the most alive as well. Because I, I, I always find it hard seeing a show where it doesn't feel like it's, like they're there, you know, like they're with us. And it's not to say necessarily that they're like, hey, audience, whacka, whacka, papa. <laughs> You know, but it's actually that it's the, the show has finesse and electricity. Hmm. And what happens when you can't connect with an audience? What do you try and do to, I know. to build that? That's tough. That's real tough. Yeah. Because then, the instinctively, you want to try harder. But then the hard part about that is if you try harder, the audience will retract and pull away from that. You know, it's a simple thing of like a clown. You see a clown on stage and you see them in a, if they want to be funny if they're trying to get a laugh out of you we as an audience are like no I'm sorry <laughs> that's not how we work um, we want to see a human on stage we want to see human moments so yeah I, I, you know it's a good question it's a really good question I'm still figuring it out myself mm. ideally the thing is I think is to just not care about it and just to allow yourself to be open and to be here and hopefully the audience will do the same. I mean, Adelaide audiences are notorious for being difficult, and I can say Great, good. From, from doing shows in Adelaide <laughs> for many years that they can be challenging. Great. But if you achieve a standing ovation, you know you've peaked because they're very rare in Adelaide. Wow. Just, well, you know, we've got from the 20th to the 30th to achieve it, so I... Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned being inspired as a kid by the DVD and by the original movie. Mm. How does that influence the way you're playing Seymour in this show? Yeah, good question, because, of course, because Rick Moranis mm. so iconic. And Ellen Green as well. And Esther and I talked about this. And it is, it's challenging because you don't want to replicate a performance. But at the same time, of course, it's kind of instilled in you um, from a popular culture um, perspective. So, yeah, it's been tricky to um, kind of forget that and try to find your own thing. Um, really, it's just been through a lot of experimentation and... Um, playfulness in, in rehearsals and, and actually just coming from a story point storytelling point of view um, of figuring out the best um, psychology of how to, how to tell this character and plus what, the plus side for us is um, the difference of course being that's because I voice the plan as well I mean there's a different meaning in that um, I haven't necessarily you know run with uh, you know the meaning of it being like the id or anything like that but I like that it's an interpretation um, yeah. So when you're voicing the plant as well as playing your on-stage character, how mm. complicated does that make it for you in your <laughs> mindset of being, you know, you're suddenly Seymour, then you're this ca- the plant, you've got a lot of going on in your head. How do you deal There's, with that um, to mentality, I suppose? A little bit schizophrenic. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, it's, it's a lot of um, head pat and stomach rubbing. Um, yeah, and the first time we tried it in rehearsals, Oh, it was so hard. It was so hard. Because you do the voice and you want to become... Physically, you want to become that character, the devil. You know, you really want to inhabit it, but you can't. No. So um, it's been, it was, yeah, it was a real challenge um, to figure out ways to physically convey that I'm still seeing more and that I'm listening and that I'm in a, um, a submissive relationship with a plant mm. um, while doing this voice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's funny, Dina, Dina said it's like, it just kind of happened. We didn't really work on it, it just kind of occurred. Um, yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's just my own schizophrenia. Maybe that's what it is. So how did you develop a voice so that the audience would instantly click that this was plant and, you know, you'll still see more, though, because that's a hard sell, I suppose, to the audience. It's a little bit more challenging than they used to seeing. Very, yeah, to, um, yeah, to differentiate between the two. <clears throat> I found that th- through previews that um, the 
the clearer thing is making Seymour quite clean, mm. um, which is that kind of that typical Disney sound. I think of like Ariel, you know. Um, in fact, that's what I, th- I think it is. I think I'm playing Ariel and Ursula. That's what's going okay. on. Um, but it is. It's that that very clean, the clean sound, and you want to make it, um, you know, very bright. Uh, and then, of course, once the plant speaks, it's about gravel and devil and. Um, yeah, man, come on! And it's literally using my um, the physicality. Uh, what's it called? Um, physiology of my my jaw differently. So just trying to get a different sound, much like you would do um, voice work uh, for voiceover. Mm. Well, finally, how would you sell this show to someone who'd never heard of it before? Oh wow, I wouldn't. You wouldn't? I wouldn't. No, I'd say stay away because you'll get eaten. Okay. Um, yeah, I know. I'd say look, just come have fun. It's a great musical. There's great music, iconic music written by um, you know, firstly one of the greatest composers of our lifetime, mm. and one of the greatest storytellers um, that we had, Howard Ashman, um, and the composer of course Alan Menken. Uh, so if you grew up with Disney, then you know come along and, and check it out. And if you grew up with horror films, come along and check it out. If you've ever wanted something more in your life and thought what would I do to get it? Uh, come check it out. If you've ever wanted love and thought how difficult that might be, come and check it out. Um, yeah, and if you want to get your head bitten off by a man-eating plant... Come check it out. Come check it out. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Ben. Well, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Now, tell me, what inspired you to pursue a career in the performing arts? Uh, well, I sort of grew up doing it. So I started dancing when I was about four, um, and... Really just music. Music's been the thing that's always got me in. And, you know, so I do musicals, I write music. Um, when I dance, I dance to music. So that, to me, is what really interests me about the performance. And we're here today for Little Shop of Horrors at the Media Call. Tell me a little bit about the show. Well, it's a sci-fi musical um, with a sort of doo-wop soundtrack. Um, what can I say? You should definitely come and see it. It's lots of fun. It's lots of dark black comedy, um, beautiful music. Um, romantic story yeah and the puppet's amazing it, it certainly looks amazing what are the challenges of working with such a complicated puppet uh, working with puppets uh, the challenges are that it's very technical the work that you do um, has to be very specific like the spots where you stand and you know there's not you can't sort of mix it up every night like you do with another actor um, but in saying that it is it is uh, quite malleable in that there's sort of five people back there working on it so we can always um, yeah it's great to be working together in that way yeah sure and obviously there's an iconic movie uh, how do you avoid copying the film but obviously still impressing fans of the original cult classic well I guess I went back to the the notes in the the script mm. and which were for Audrey in particular just things like that she has no education that her self-worth is very low he also gave a list of four so there's Ellen Green but he gave I think he said um, yeah lots of different females like Marilyn Monroe um, I've got them all in my head but um, sort of four women sort of iconic kind of female women to kind of um, to work off as well um, yeah, so I just went back to the notes in the script and just studied it like that. And, you know, obviously Ellen Green is so famous for Audrey and she's brilliant. But if you go back to the script, what she's done is very much what what was sort of asked of her. So I'm, yeah, I hope I'm not copying, but I hope it's owed to because I think she's brilliant. Well, it certainly looked fantastic from what you were doing up there today. <laughs> Thanks. Now, what was the rehearsal process like for this show? 
it was five weeks. Um, it was a pretty normal rehearsal process. We just, um, yeah, got to, because it's a new production, we got to workshop a lot of what you see here. So that's always really fun. So it was a lot, it was very organic and um, playful. Yeah. How do you ensure that your performance is fresh every night? Um, just stay fit and, um, I don't know, I always just go back to my script every night before I go out there and I'll choose, you know, I'll like work on one scene and, you know, every night and just try and think of new things to kind of keep it alive and fresh. Um, you know, Brent's, Brent's the one that really carries this show as far as sort of physically and, um, yeah, he's got a really big job. All of us, like, we're... We're working hard, but uh, you know he's kind of, yeah he's doing the big workload. Well, so finally, uh, what <laughs> advice would you offer to anyone looking to work in the performing arts? Um, I would say if you love it, just work hard and find you know the the areas that you want to work in, and sort of even if they're not the mainstream, <clears throat> go for it. You know, if you've got a vision or a dream of what you sort of see your career being, then I say, say go for that. Even if it's, uh, yeah, like I said, different to possibly well, the mainstream. Thank you very much for your time today and all the best with the season. Thank you very much. Well, welcome to the show and thank you for joining me today. Thanks. Now, I walked into the theatre today for the media call and I was blown away by the set. It, it, it looks phenomenal. Tell me about how you go bringing together such a, a visually striking show. Okay, well, it was actually... What we were really lucky with that um, was that I've worked with the set and costume designer. Tim Chappell is the costume designer who most people know won an Oscar for Priscilla, Queen of the Desert when he was like, what, 26 or some crazy age. Yeah, about that. And then um, I worked on the actual musical production of that. I look after it all around the world as associate director. So I worked with Tim for quite a few years as we moved that from Australia to the West End to Broadway. And then of course he won a Tony award for that. So that show has been good to him. And I got to work with him separately on Sweet Charity two years ago and now Little Shop of Horrors. So the first kind of thing that came into the design for me was, I don't know why, but I always just wanted to do act one in black and white and act two in color. Mm. Um, I thought that would be really cool. I thought it'd be a really good homage to the fact that the original movie, the you know famously shot in two days movie, was in black and white and was kind of film noir-esque. And then, of course, the movie that everyone actually knows, the gorgeous Rick Moranis movie from the 80s, is like so colourful and crazy. So I was kind of like, how do we do that in the theatre? Because like, that's quite hard. Like, mm. We're not just talking about changing the set, which is you should see the change behind the curtain. It's kind of it's a bit scary, actually. <laughs> But even the actors have to change their makeup from a black and white base to a colour base or the costumes. But I made the designers go with that and they kind of loved it after a while. In terms of the actual design though, what we actually went back to was everyone always thinks Little Shop of Horrors is set in New York, but actually it's not specifically set anywhere. And Skid Row is a real place in Los Angeles. So hmm. me and the set designer Owen started looking at these really cool photographs of what Skid Row looks like. And Skid Row, because obviously it's, um, you know, not very well off, has a lot of buildings that are isolated because the buildings next door to them have just been knocked down. So it's this quite scary thing mm. of seeing a building just standing by itself, which I guess famously, like the house in Psycho, a yeah. building by itself is a horrifying thing, and I don't know why. <laughs> so that was kind of the jumping off point for the design. 
Mm. Well, it certainly looks phenomenal. Thank uh, you. It, it's, I've come back from Broadway and I've seen less impressive sets over there. So it's, it's a testament to you and the team. Oh, well, that's good to hear. <laughs> now, I've, been, I've just been told that you've moved from quite a small theatre, the Hayes, mm-hmm. to this much larger theatre. How does that change your direction, your staging, and obviously the set as well? I think in terms of the playing style for the actors is the most important thing that changes because everyone just has to start playing bigger, playing to the back. Um, So that was kind of what really is impacting this production. And, of course, the fact that in the Sydney production we just had that shop, whereas now we've got metres of stuff all around. So for the tech department, that's like, well, we've got to fill that with something that also enhances the story. So most of our technical period here has been going, well, we loved what we did in Sydney, but how do we make it bigger for Adelaide and the rest of Australia? Mm. And is that the same now from, from Adelaide? So is it bigger here and the rest? Or Absolutely. No, Adelaide is now the um, uh, the version that the rest of Australia will see. Okay. And obviously it's a, it's a bigger, brighter version. Are, would you take that back to Sydney then, you know, a return season? Yeah, we're yeah. going back to Sydney. Are you going back to Sydney? Yeah, yeah, we're playing the Rosalind Packer in... I don't know the dates. I'm sure you can find it on the website. I'll but, put um, them in the in the show notes of the podcast. Brilliant. Yeah, so we're returning to Sydney with this scale production. That's fantastic. Now, tell me about how you directed this based on, obviously there's the two films, and mm-hmm. one of them is very iconic. So how did you differentiate your production from the film? I'll obviously still paying homage a little bit for those who love it so much. Well, I think, one, I know the film so well, so I kind of never really thought about it again because I mean, mm. I just know that's in my kind of DNA what's going on um, so what I really concentrated on was trying to think of what the actual words are saying like reading the script listening to these specific actors bring it to life and I was really really keen right from the start to make it a scary musical because we don't have many scary yeah. musicals probably Sweeney Todd might be the only one that you could possibly say and it's not very scary no. either it's quite scary to learn how to sing it because there's a lot of notes but that's about it that's Sondheim in general that's Sondheim yeah um, so I kind of more studied how to, to use those B-movie techniques to to make it kind of like you go oh this is actually about a plant that eats people like that's a funny sounding thing but if a plant really did eat people that would be a horrifying experience so basically we spend a lot of act one just setting up the characters but also looking at like the dentist's relationship with Audrey I mean that's like a horrifying relationship and I think in the movie you kind of laugh at it and you think oh domestic abuse that's so funny but it's not it's it's like terrifying so the and also rather a prevalent theme today in society yeah I kind of felt that that was what was most useful to tie into that sense of women just constantly being threatened by men and the idea as well of consumerism and capitalism eating us because in a way the plant can be read as you know Success can be wonderful, but it can also consume you and you've got nothing less left. So that's that's kind of where it guided me. Mm. So what can audiences expect when coming to see this new production? Well, I think they can expect on seeing something they love done a completely different way. So I feel like one of my guiding dictums as a director is give the audience what they want in a way they don't expect it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like what they'll get from this is brilliant singing, really funny, moving performances and a kind of amazing plan that you've never seen on stage before. It certainly looks amazing. Tell, tell me about working with the puppet. How, how did that uh, affect what you were directing? That was actually really uh, quite hard for me. I've never worked with a puppet before of any notable size. And well, it's I must a big admit, one. It's a big one. 
We had it from the start, which was fantastic. Um, but Earth, who made the puppet, what they did, which I found was scary and then great, was they said, look, we'll show you the things it does, but we're not going to train you to use it because we have found that actors or humans are naturally playful, naturally puppeteers. So why don't you just experiment with it and then it'll become organically alive. And so, you know, that was a bit scary for a day or two. And then bit by bit, everyone specialises in a certain part of the plant. So all the actors have an area that they look after, a tentacle or the body or the mouth or that kind of thing. Mm. So as they learnt how it actually works, I found that I just ended up directing them, like directing the plant really like it was an actor, like just saying, I want it to come down and reach out here. And they'd go, well, I need to do that and I need to do that. And, and they would just end up working together to make it happen. So very quickly they became very good at it. That's fantastic. So what do you think is the most crucial role a director plays in a production? I think um, imagination of sort of seeing the world. I think clarity of storytelling is the, the best thing a director can bring to a production. Just always asking the question, what is actually happening? Mm. Because I don't know if you agree, but most times when you go to a production you don't consider that good, it's mostly because you're a little bit like, I don't really know what I was meant to be it, thinking it's there. It's a lack like, of storytelling. It's a lack of storytelling. I think people think there's something a bit passe maybe about storytelling, but almost all of the most exhilarating pieces are storytelling oriented. And then just clarity of communication, everyone just knowing where they are at any given point. Well, thank you very much for your time today and all the thank best you. for the rest of the season. Thank you very much. That was my chat with Brent Hill, who plays Seymour and voices The Plant, Esther Hannaford, who plays Audrey, and director Dean Bryant. All the dates and further details about the Little Shop of Horrors Australian tour can be found in the show notes for this podcast. Now, I was lucky enough to see the show on Friday night, and the talent on stage is incredible. The performers are amazingly talented. Uh, Brent Hill especially, who does a duet with himself as uh, Seymour and the Plant, is, is something that is very rarely seen in theatre, and he should be commended on that song alone. Uh, the staging is also quite clever. I very much like the black and white to colour that we see of Act 1 and Act 2, and the puppet, of, uh, as you can imagine, and see from the photos on our Facebook page, is phenomenal. It looks realistic. Uh, the fact that the mouth moves as uh, Brent talks, is they've timed that quite well, and as I said, the the talent is fantastic. What was unfortunate about opening night is that the sound balance wasn't quite right yet. Um, the music was often far too loud for the voices, which meant this drowned out a lot of the crucial singing lines, uh, meaning that you couldn't always hear what was happening and then you lose some of the story. Now, I knew what was happening, but for those who'd never seen the show before or weren't as familiar with the songs, it would have been quite difficult to follow the story, especially in Act 2, where for some unexplicable reason they seemed to raise the volume of the music. Uh, though the orchestra are phenom phenomenally talented as well, we do need to hear what's being sung. And I'm sure that this will be rectified as performances move forward, as uh, these issues often are, but at that point in time, the show wasn't quite as strong as it could be, and uh, I, I truly wish them all the best. As the show, this interpretation of the show, this darker tone, which was a little bit unexpected, but that was fantastic. It's nice to see that, uh, that more metaphorical side where they're using the plant as, as symbolism for success and fame and greed. And I like all those new new bits, uh, new influences that Dean has used, and it's done 
quite quite well. And uh, I, I just think that uh, with a bit of time and maybe with some more tech rehearsals and some more performances over the next week or so, that that sound balance we rectified. And uh, then for the rest of the Adelaide shows and the rest of their tour, they'll uh, have it uh, down to a T, in which case the show will be incredible. And I do encourage people to see it. But uh, let's just hope they fix those sound issues first because they did spoil the show a little bit for me. And for other reviews, for all our movie reviews, you can check out the website, and I've seen some fantastic movies recently, Recently, like Eddie the Eagle, thanks to 20th Century Fox, Midnight Special, and the upcoming Australian film, A Month of Sundays. And also, on Wednesday night, look out for my review of Marvel's new Civil War film, Captain America 3 Civil War, hits Australian cinemas this Thursday, and American cinemas a couple of weeks later, but I will get to see it Wednesday night, so look out for that. We'll be back next month with two more fantastic interviews. Until then, I've been your host, Benjamin. And don't forget to check out our supporters, Mad Zombie Collectibles, Madman Entertainment, and Palace Nova Cinemas. All their details can be found on the website. See you next time. <laughs>